Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you have communicated with us, that you have given us scripture, which helps us understand who you are, which helps us understand your character, which helps us understand what you desire from us. Lord God, I pray that you would use this time as we open up Scripture. I pray that you would use it to speak to each of us personally, individually. God, you desire to do that this morning. So may we each come with hearts that are open and receptive to your Spirit's leading this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Are you waiting for anything right now? Are you in the process of waiting for anything? Have you asked the Lord perhaps a question and you are still waiting for his response? Waiting. Waiting and patience. It's not fun, is it? It's, it's not easy, not easy to wait. I think of um, various people in our church family, maybe you are waiting for a certain job or a certain promotion, wondering, do I take this? God, what's, what's your response? Do I take this job or not? Maybe the, the waiting is, God, I'm just waiting for a job I, I, just need, I just need a job. That's, that's waiting. There's, there's patience. Um, maybe it's, God, I would like to know what you have in store for me the next few years of my life. I think about maybe those who are nearing graduation. God, I would like to know what it is that you have for me beyond high school. What do you have in store for me? Or if it is, Families of those who are in high school nearing graduation. God, what are you going to do for us? What do you have in store for us beyond our kids being in high school? Life has been focused so much on raising our children. And what's next? God, I'd like to know. What do you have for me? I think about people I've talked from our own church family who have said, God, you have clearly spoken to me before. You seem a little bit silent right now. God, I would like to know what it is that you have in store for me next. And until I know I'm going to go with what you told me last, until you tell me something new. This last week I asked my wife, what she thinks about when she hears the word waiting. I sent her a text message from my office, and she replied with a number of text messages back. Wow, I wasn't ready for such a reply. She said, the very first text message, she said, I think right away 
of the transition period that the two of us went through to get us here. There was waiting involved. There was a year and a half to two years of understanding that God was doing something. God, what are you doing? I, I had a list and I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. I wanted to bring it because I still have it somewhere. A list that Kelsey and I put in our bathroom at our house, our last house. And it had a number of things on there that we were waiting for. Our car was having issues. God, do we replace the car or do we take it to the mechanic and get it fixed? I had written down Camp of the Risen Sun. God, do I go and speak at that camp or not? Another one said, Senior Pastor. That was a youth pastor, and I was wondering, God, are you telling me I am to be a senior pastor? There was this waiting period during those two years, one and a half to two years. Kelsey had a Spotify playlist called waiting. <laughs> they were all songs about waiting because that was a season of life that we were in. She sent another text message. She thought of our daughter, Livia, who was five days overdue. Now, that's not a big deal necessarily, but when you're the one who's pregnant, that's a big deal. Like, there's this, this date that you have in mind, and that's when, that's when our our child, we did not find out the gender. I'm not saying that's better or that it's, that's just, we just chose not to find out the gender. So we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. We were just waiting. And Livia took five extra days. And for, for a mama who's pregnant, every day is like a week. You know, and it was, there was this waiting. I think of my little nephew, Roan, who lives in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Kelsey, five years ago, flew down there to go meet. Well, she was thinking that she would go meet little Roan. He was 14 days overdue. So the tickets that we purchased, she was supposed to be there. We figured this is a good time to purchase them. She should be there for the delivery and probably for a couple days of this. Never happened. Not till the day she got home. And then the baby came. <laughs> then he came. There was waiting, Kelsey thought, of back in 2013 when she sat in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona, waiting for my surgery, which lasted for eight or nine hours. Waiting. She thought about waiting at Disneyland for a ride to go on. She thought about how we waited for a year and a half. Some friends of ours said, let's go to Disneyland together. We'll make it happen. We'll make it affordable. Okay, we'll do that. And then the anticipation for a year and a half, waiting. The final text she sent, we wait for water to boil. We wait for cookies to bake. And we wait for anticipated mail to arrive. When's it going to come? Where is that package? <laughs> Waiting, waiting, and patience. What are you waiting for this morning? What are you in waiting 
for. This morning, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at has to do with waiting. I would summarize it more by patience. The patience of God. The patience of God and the impatience of humanity. I invite you to take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel. We are working our way through this book, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning. This morning, so if you recall last week, we went through chapters 8, 9, and 10. This morning, the, the ground that we're going to cover is 11 through 15. That's a lot of ground. So what we're going to do is really I'm going to narrow in on chapters 12, part of chapter 12, the last part of chapter 12, and the very first half of chapter 13. So you recall last week, if you were with us, whether in person or online, you recall that we looked at Saul who became king. You recall the elders of Israel who came to Samuel and said, we want a king. Give us a king. And God said, this is a rejection of me, God. It's not a rejection of you, Samuel. This is a rejection of me, God. Warn them, warn them, but also give them what they are asking for. They want a king. Give them a king. Give them what they want. Tell them that the king is going to take a tenth of what you own. Tell them that the king is going to take the best of your livestock, the best of your crops. Tell them that the king is going to take your sons and your daughters and make them servants. This is what the king is going to do. But then give them what they are asking for. And so Samuel does, and the king that they receive is Saul. Saul becomes king. Well, the passage that we're going to look at this morning picks up, and it's actually the closing words that Samuel gives. It's called his farewell speech. Remember that, that Samuel is old. When we began this study of 1 Samuel, he was not even born yet. And now he is old. And these are his closing public words to Israel. Right before this in chapter 11, if you're curious what happens there, Saul is victorious in battle. And this causes the people of Israel to really rally around him. Remember the close of chapter 10 said there were some troublemakers who did not like Saul? Well, now the people were saying, where were those troublemakers? Let's go kill them. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so typical of the Old Testament. Let's just go kill them. That's, just, that's the response. Let's go kill them. And Saul says, hang on a second. Let's, we're not going to go kill them. Let, let's, let's be a little bit more gracious here. We're not just going to go kill those people just because they didn't like me. But the people really rally around Saul. And then... Samuel delivers a farewell speech. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 12. Look at 12 through 15. But when you saw that Nahash king of the Ammonites was 
moving against you. You said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your father's. Pause there. Samuel is gathered with the people of Israel, and he is saying, okay, remember that you had to have a king. Remember that you were so intent. I have to have a king. And now he's saying, here's your king. (laughs) I, I just, part of me just like feels, sympathizes with with Saul. Saul is there. And Samuel is saying, you wanted a king, here he is. Here he is. Remember, you rejected the Lord your God. He was your king. He is your king. You rejected him, and now you have him. Now you have him. It would be kind of like, ugh, ouch, ouch. But do, you, but do you hear a bit more playing out here? Samuel is saying, yes, you rejected the Lord your God. But listen to me. If you will follow, if you will follow the Lord your God. I like how Scripture says it. Good. That's it. Just Good. If you will follow the Lord your God, meaning it's not too late, you have rejected the Lord your God as your king. The king of kings. You have rejected him. You chose this man. You chose this human being to lead you. But understand this. If you would follow the Lord your God today, Yes, you chose poorly. It's not too late. If you would follow him, good. And the warning, if you don't follow him, this is not going to be good. Do you see the patience of God? I think of how the flesh would respond in a situation like this. Oh, I am so done with you. That's the flesh speaking. I'm so done with you. Samuel, you gave them the warning. And they ignored you. Samuel, you gave the warning out twice. You called all of Israel together. You gave the warning. At the coronation, you gave the warning again. And both times... They, they rejected me as their king, and they wanted this human being. I think that we would have this tendency of saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with you. And God continues to operate 
and of great patience. Look at verses 16 through the rest of the chapter. This is a story, more of a story. Listen to this encounter. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? And they would have been saying, yeah. I will call upon the Lord to send thunder and rain. And you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Verse 18. Then Samuel called upon the Lord. And that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray! Pray to the Lord your God for, for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins this evil of asking for a king. We shouldn't have done it. Verse 20, Samuel replied, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away After useless idols, they can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. What an interesting line. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Verse 24, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. The words of Samuel were consistent throughout all of his lifetime. Turn from your idols. Turn from your idols. Stop following those false gods. They they do nothing for you. Turn from your idols. And he calls them, turn to the Lord your God. Serve the Lord your God. Again, I see the great patience of God. This should not surprise us. The patience of God should not surprise us. It is echoed again in the New Testament. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the heart of God. God is patient with us. God was patient with his people. Don't forget, this came after 200 years of rebellion. Of rejecting God. God's people rejecting him. This this came after Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and just the, the the, the, the contemptible, if that's a word, that they treated the sacrificial system with contempt. They did not care for it. God's patience remained. The rejection of 
Yahweh, God as king, choosing a human being to lead them. But God continued to be patient. But I want us to look now. That's the patience of God. But I want us to see the impatience of humanity, which is evidenced in Saul's life. And while it's so easy for us to point the finger at Saul, I think that if we're honest, we see ourselves here too. So look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Just a brief pause here. If you look at the Hebrew text here, there is some discrepancy here in what the Hebrew text actually said. Now, I'm not going to go into it because I don't believe that you're going to care a whole lot. But I'm just telling you, if um, your brain is full-on academia, then you might care about it. And if you want to have a conversation sometime, I would be happy to have a conversation with you. I am not a Hebrew theologian, but I have done a little bit of research, and I can at least point you in, in some directions. Those who are very critical of Scripture look at this here, and they say, aha, aha. There, there's, some, there's some questioning on, did he really reign for 42 years, and was he really 30 years old? That's all it comes down to, okay? I'm just telling you that I'm aware of it, and I'm going to move on because I don't think that you care. I'm just telling you, okay? It moves on. So the translations that we have for the last couple thousand years have been saying that he was 30 years old and he served for 42 years, okay? Moving on, chapter or verse 2, Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. A thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. Jonathan is his son. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. And now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, and catch this, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. Yikes. <laughs> did, you, did you catch that? Okay, how many people are in Saul's army? Did you catch it? Yeah, 3,000 people. 3,000, 2,000 are with him. 1,000 are with his son. So they're not even together. And, and they are to go to war against the Philistines. Israel is clearly the underdog here. I mean, so clearly the underdog. Because did you catch how many chariots alone the Philistine army had? 3,000. 3,000 chariots. That's, that's how many fighting men Israel has. So then you look at the charioteers, there's 6,000. That's double what Israel has. But that's not all they have. It says that 
the, the soldiers that they had were as many as the sand on the seashore. Meaning, you can't count how many soldiers there are. We are outnumbered. We are in trouble. We're toast. We're going down. Handwriting's on the wall. We know what's going to happen. We're going to get slaughtered. This is not a good situation. Read on. Verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical, um, yeah, and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Let's pause there really quick. Okay, what's, what's the response of the people? <laughs> I need a hiding spot. Man, I'm finding a cave. Man, we are so outnumbered. I need a cave. I need a cistern. I need a pit. Bury me. Some of them cross the Jordan River. Man, I'm out of here. We, we read later in this chapter that the number of soldiers was whittled down to 600. Saul's army, four-fifths of them took off. Man, we are out of here. 20% stay with him. 600 soldiers stay with him. And what's their response? They're quivering. They're shaking. I don't blame them. I would be too. This is their worst nightmare. But I cannot help but think about Saul or Samuel's warning to, to the people of Israel. What do the people want? We want a king. We want to be able to say those words like the other nations. Long live the king. And they did. And how did that go for them? We want a king who is going to lead us into victory. We want a king that when we go out to battle, the king has taken us. And we're following behind saying, Yeah, this is our king. And he's going to provide the victory. What's happening here? I don't see that picture playing out. They're, They're just cowering. They're shaking in their boots. Why? Because they have met the day of their death. They know there is no victory. We asked for this king. We asked for this lifestyle. And we are getting what we have asked for. We are getting exactly what we asked for. Verse 8. He... Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, look who comes around the corner. (laughs) Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. Isn't that just almost how things always seem to play out? 
Okay, just really quickly, turn back a page or two. 1 Samuel chapter 10, I believe it's verse 8. Yep, this is the instruction that Samuel, the mouthpiece of God, this is the instruction that Samuel gave to Saul. 1 Samuel 10, verse 8. He said, go down ahead of, time, or ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That was the instruction. Now, again, I want to be really slow to point the finger because I don't know if I would have even waited as long as he did. I mean, look at how bad things were. He's got 600 soldiers taking on a massive army. He's got four-fifths of his army taken off in fear. And he's like, I don't know what to do. I need God. Yeah, I need God somehow. Samuel said he was going to come. He said, wait seven days. And I, I, I give it to him that he's willing to wait seven days. But there comes a point where he says, oh, okay, uh, Samuel isn't here. L- let's, I got to act. And I, I don't know, I'm reading in between the lines, but I think there may have been this, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm the king. I'm the king, so come on. I mean, I'm in charge. No one ain't no one higher than me. If I want to do it, I'm I, fine. I'm doing it. Bring me those burnt offerings. We're doing this now. We don't have time to dilly dally around here. We're gonna we're gonna offer the sacrifices now. And and they, he does. And as soon as he is done, I mean, as soon as he is done, lo and behold. Up comes Samuel. And, and Saul goes out to greet him. I, I don't know, was, was Saul like puppy dog tail between the la- la- hind legs? Like, I don't know, was he like oblivious? Like, oh, you're going to be proud of me. I waited the seven days. Um, as soon as I saw that you're not here, I went ahead. I don't know how he approached him. But I do hear the reply of Samuel. Verse 11, what have you done? Saul, what have you done? And Saul replied, when I, when I saw that uh, the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. Uh, Sure, let's spiritualize this. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Uh, I'm going to do this, right? That's, that's That's the good thing to do, right? 13, Samuel says, You acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him 
leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah and Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Samuel says, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord. You want the blessing, but you are not willing to keep the command of the Lord. How do you expect to have his blessing when you are not keeping the command of the Lord? There's something here that I noticed. Did you notice this too? Did you notice what Samuel said in verse 13? After he says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Catch this part here. If you had... He, God, would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Did you hear that? That's that's the patience of God. (laughs) Again, 200 years of disobedience by his children. The priests making a mockery of the sacrificial system. The people saying... God is not enough. Give us a human king. They they choose disobedience. They choose a human king. They get Saul. And yet even in this, do you hear what God is saying? Samuel says, if you would have listened and followed as you were instructed... If you would have listened and followed the Lord and served him only, God would have used Saul, his throne, for how long? For all time. God was willing to use this man, Saul, who was a replacement. That baffles my mind when I read that. God, you were willing. Now, God knew exactly how they were going to respond, but God is saying through Samuel, you've chosen disobedience, but I see the patience of God. Still, this call to follow. And if you would have followed, I was going to use Saul. But because you have rejected Saul, God has turned from Saul, and has chosen someone else to lead. Someone else who is a man after God's heart. Because Saul is not. We see A lot of transition here. In this whole book, this whole book is transition after transition. Here, 
we see the beginning downward spiral of Saul. If you want to know where Saul began to fall, it's here. It was in this moment. It was when Saul began to take matters into his own hands. When he was given instruction, but he downplayed that, I don't need that, took matters into his own hands and began to lead on his own. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 52 says something very interesting. I'm just going to read it and you can just listen to it. It says these words here. All the days of Saul... There was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. Those words probably don't mean a whole lot at first glance to you. But I think they actually describe the reign of Saul. Saul cared about himself. Saul cared about his army. Saul was not after the Lord's army. Saul cared about whatever made himself look better. So whatever it takes to make me advance politically... I'm game. I'm doing it. Saul, if that means you're accompanying me because it looks better, you can read on and you'll find that. I'm not going to go there next week, but you can read on. Come on, Samuel, I need you. If it just makes you look better, that's Saul. Saul was all about his appearance. Remember, he was a sharp-looking dude. He was a head taller than everyone else. And Saul cared about me. That's what Saul wanted. That's what caused Saul to grow impatient. We also see resemblance in this book of 1 Samuel between Saul and Eli. We've already looked at Eli There is resemblance between King Saul and Eli. Saul treated the sacrificial system with contempt. We just read that. Eli's passivity in accepting his son's behavior towards the sacrificial system was treating the Lord's sacrificial system with contempt. Saul had the kingdom stripped from him and given to someone else of the Lord's choosing. Eli had the priesthood stripped from him, from his family line and given to someone else of the Lord's choosing. The parallel is there. Next week, We are going to move into David. This last week, my wife said, 
when is first samuel going to pick up and get better <laughs> like when is it going to be i want some hope and i told her not this week babe not yet but there is a sense of hope this next week there is a sense of hope it's coming so hang on but you know what All of the Old Testament is like that. Back and forth. Back and forth like a pendulum. Lord, we want you. Lord, we reject you. It's just back and forth. And you know what? Beyond the days of Scripture, all of humanity is doing this too. Lord, I need you. I don't know if I need you that much. God, help me. I'm in trouble. Uh, I think you helped me. I'm okay. And we're just this pendulum going back and forth. In closing, I ask you, have you ever made a poor choice that greatly altered life? Have you ever made a poor choice that greatly altered life for you or for someone else? Israel did. Saul did. And while the impatience and foolish behavior of Saul is portrayed here, so is the patience of God. God's patience is on display. I know that this portion of Scripture records God reprimanding Saul. And eventually rejecting Saul as king, chapter 15. I understand that. If anything, let that serve as a reminder that God's patience is not to be taken advantage of. His patience is not just for us to say, oh, goody, I can do whatever I want. No, God is patient, but he's also just. I don't understand the times that when he says, I am going to continue to be patient, and I don't understand the times when he says, I choose to be just and act justly. Saul, I reject you as king. It is not mine to understand. What I do see is God, again, as I've already mentioned, who was patient with his people after a couple hundred years, who was patient with his people after they continued to act disobediently. God's patience is there today for you and me. And because you are here, whether you are listening online or whether you are here in person, because you are hearing these words today, I guarantee you, God nudges you by his spirit and says, I am patient. Now follow me. I am patient with you, not that you might live however you want. I am patient with you that you might be brought back to repentance. That is what 
we need. Lord God, we come to you mindful of your great patience. I thank you that you are a great God, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. God, we come understanding that we identify much more with Saul, growing impatient, having a hard time hanging on to your commands, taking matters into our own hands. Father, forgive us. Father, I pray that as you speak to us, as your spirit speaks to us, I pray that we would respond to your great patience. May your patience be what draws us to repentance. May your great patience be what draws us to you. Lord God, we need you. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that it has been a time that is able to speak to each of us individually right where we're at. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.